Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 8 through 15, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 1, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 3, verse 20 through 35, and Psalm 130. We're all familiar with a different story that Jesus tells. Uh, He doesn't call it this, but we often call it the prodigal son. You all familiar with the story that Jesus tells of, of a man who has two sons, and one of them comes up to him and says, hey, I'd like my inheritance now, which is to say, what if we just pretended you were already dead, and you give me what you're gonna give me when you die, and I'll go on my way now. And the father says, okay. And the son goes off and, of course, squanders every penny, squanders all of his life, ends up uh, living in a a pigsty with pigs, eating what they won't eat and thinking, all right, I screwed up somewhere here. And says, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back home because even the servants on my dad's property live better than I'm living right now. So even if my dad won't have me back as a son, maybe he'll have me back as a servant, and I can work there. And the story goes that Jesus tells that as the son's walking back, even while he's a long way off, before he can apologize, before he can say anything at all, the father sees him and runs towards him, abandons all sense of dignity and all sense of, of sort of our sense of a, a patriarchal nature and, and just runs forth to the son. And before the son can even apologize, is embracing him and kissing him. And the son says, uh, uh, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. And he's the dad's not got any room for it because he's too busy being overjoyed by the presence of the one that he loves. And he throws this big old party for the son. You remember this, right? And while he's throwing the big old party, the older brother, who never left home, who never said to the dad, you're as good as dead to me, who never squandered a dime, who never did anything wrong, he's still out working. And he comes back and he goes, what's going on? And they say, well, we're having a party. The younger son came back. He's alive. And the older brother is like, this is nonsense. What is this about? And the dad hears the older son is upset, and he comes out, and he says, what's going on? We're, We're partying inside. And the older son says, you know, I have been here. I have been good to you. I have been faithful. I have I have done my best. And now you never threw me a party, a fatted calf. I never even got a lamb. What is this? And I love this part of the story too because Jesus tells in this moment, the father doesn't go, what the heck is wrong with you? The father says, son, all that I have is already yours. You've always been with me and I've always been with you. But your brother was dead. And now he's alive. Your brother was lost, and now he's found. When Jesus tells this story to people, we have this tendency to try to figure out which son we are in the equation. Are we the screw-up, or are we the always try to get it right? Either way, we're in trouble. But the funny thing about the story is, the story isn't about either son. Jesus is trying to tell us something about the way God works. And so the story is really about the father in that story. That is obviously a metaphor for God. God, you see, is a God of equanimity and grace. A God of unconditional love 
who understands the full belonging of those that God has made and who lives and creates in a world where even when we don't get it, and by the way, when we don't get it in a variety of ways, God is still faithful to us. We believe as Christians in the God of unconditional love who made this world out of love and for love. And that is our guiding star. That is our benchmark. That is the defining truth of who we are as a people. It's what brought us together. So many of us, by the way, would never have known each other if we didn't buy into it. I never would have met any of you. It was what, what but the love of God could have picked my family up, plucked us from California, and dropped us down in Cincinnati. The love of God did that. And so many of us that we have met, you would not have met one another if we had not been drawn into a community that is rooted and grounded in love and decided we wanted to make that our lives too. Jesus tells a story in the gospel you heard today, or the story that is told about Jesus, rather, in the gospel today. He says some difficult things that make us a little uncomfortable. But one of the things that always makes us uncomfortable is when Jesus talks about family. Because we actually are taught, we have been taught to believe, and we sort of are proponents ourselves of the idea that our families and the nuclear family is somehow the end-all, be-all of our lives. That this is the thing we are supposed to be, and if, by the way, if it's a good family, then we're good people. And if there's problems with our family, we think there's, it means something really bad about us. And our goal is to make it seem like our families are good and healthy and just right. But every time Jesus talks, he says stuff like, well, you're going to have to hate your parents if you want to follow me, which is cool if you're a teenager, but when you're an adult, it gets very confusing. And here, his mother and his brothers show up, and someone says, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they want a word with you. And Jesus says, my mother and my brother? Who are my mother and my brothers? Anyone who does the will of God are my mother and my brothers. And again, this is difficult for us to hear. Because it sounds like he's disrespecting his mom. And that makes us all, let's be honest, slightly uncomfortable. He's the son of God. That's Mary. He should watch his tongue. But the reality is that Jesus is, is, is working on turning all of us towards God. That's why he tells that story of the so-called prodigal son to orient us in what real love looks like, to orient us in the reality that if any of us have a father, it is the father in heaven who made all of us with whole hearts filled with love and we exist for the purpose of living in love relationship with one another and caring for this world. That is the foundation of who we are. And Jesus knows something. He knows that we can let other things get in the way of that. Even things that are supposed to be good, like families. There are other versions of this story, by the way, where, where, the, where the mother and the brothers are showing up at the door. And the implication is they're showing up at the door because Jesus, they think Jesus is out of control. And all of the people in the story, Jesus is making them very uncomfortable. They're accusing him of having an unclean spirit, which is to say he's possessed by the devil. 
Jesus is teaching that love is the center of all reality and that God has got you no matter what and people think he's possessed. No one in their right mind could say such things. No one in their right mind could believe in a God as gracious, affectionate, forgiving, and adoring as the God that Jesus describes over and over again in our scriptures. And so we let all sorts of things get in the way of that. We let, well, let's be honest, we get scared sometimes of what people will think if we make the God of love the centerpiece of our whole lives. We're scared of seeming, well, we don't want to be like too religious seeming, you know. For one, we don't want to be like those Christians, especially Episcopalians. We get really nervous about being mistaken for other kinds of Christians. <laughs> oh, I love us. We know that we don't want to seem like silly idealists and dreamers. We want to be grounded in the real world. But the Christian is grounded in the real world because this world, we believe, is founded by the God of love, created by the God of love. And so when we center our lives on that love, we are centering our lives on the truest thing that was ever true, on the only thing that was ever really real, the love of God. And there are things that are going to get in the way of that, including even our own ideas of what ourselves and our families should be. That's a hard gospel, but it's a true one. I'm fully aware, as are most of you, that we're coming into June, which is now becoming celebrated in our country. We're calling it Pride Month. And we're, and we're taking a look at, well, those of us like, like myself who identify as, as, as heterosexual and cisgender, I'm trying to take a look at, like, where in my life have I contributed to making other people, people who are, identify as uh, LGBTQ, how, how, how have I... Where have I gotten it wrong, frankly? And where are places where I can open up my heart and live differently to make sure that others understand the love of God and are, and, are, and are feeling the love of God by the way that I live my life? But one of the narratives, if you stop and you listen to our siblings in the LGBTQ plus community, one of the things that you will hear time and again is stories of people whose families have abandoned them for being who they are. Now, do you think it's a good gospel to tell them that their family is the most important thing in the world? Or should they get to hear that the God of love who made them is the true central reality of their lives? Which makes more sense to you? Which sounds like it saves lives? And all of us, every one of us, either is, has been a part of or has seen relationships and families that have been destructive. We don't like it. It's not good, but we've seen it. But the power of family, the power of blood can do so many things to, to keep us in its thrall and make us feel like we've got to stay in something that is unhealthy. We've got to put up with abuse. We've got to put up with being less than God has made us to be. And Jesus has a liberating message for us in those moments that our true family our true belonging is found in the God who made us. And our brothers and sisters, our siblings and parents 
are the people who understand that God is love. And the community that is built on the God of love is meant to become our family, become that thing that holds us, ties us to one another, and binds us up, binds up our wounds, and heals us and recovers us. Before I stop, I don't believe Jesus is saying, and I'm certainly not saying, that family's bad, right? It's not the message. But Jesus' words are sobering and honest because Jesus recognizes that even the things that we value can sometimes get in the way of us recognizing our belovedness. Is hard work bad? No. When work becomes your whole identity and all you are, is that bad? Yes. Is family bad? No. When your family keeps you from knowing your own belovedness, but you allow yourself to sit in that and be abused by that, is that good? No. Right? You see where I'm going? Our goal as Christians is to continue to center our lives on the God that Jesus talks about over and over again. But particularly today, I want you to think about the God that Jesus talks about in that story of the prodigal son. The one who makes a home for us no matter what. The one who accepts us and loves us and draws us near. The one who sees us from a long way off and is so excited to see us that, that this God doesn't even care whether we're here to say the wrong thing or the right thing because the excitement, the joy is too unbearable. This is the God of our whole lives. This is the central defining reality of our Christian community. God today is speaking to us as God does every week when we have the opportunity to hear the gospel. God is speaking to us about what we put at the center of our lives how we define our homes, how we define our families, how we define ourselves. When we define our homes, our families, ourselves, as utterly belonging to the God of love, we are finally living realistically practically the true life that God has given us to live in Jesus' name.